0: Morning. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, You're stuck with me for a while, so uh, I'm not going anywhere for several months. So uh, we're going to keep diving right into this book of Matthew. Uh, I'm very thankful that we've had uh, for the elder team I have and the great preachers I have to step up and speak when I'm not here. And I listened online and they did a great job. So I'm really, really proud of them. I'm very thankful for them. Um, it's nice as a pastor to know that you can, you know, get involved in some exterior ministries, some personal ministries, and and, and know that your church is taken care of, and and we just have a great staff, so. Uh, but anyway, we're going to continue on in the book of Matthew, and today we're, uh, we're going to look at a topic I think is pretty familiar that everybody's pretty familiar with, uh, but let me first say that we're going through the book of Matthew, we've been here a long time, and we're going to be here a long time, I think, um, but uh, we're, we're doing it a little bit differently. We're, we're breaking it down into sub-series so that we can more adequately cover all the subject matter. So today we're going to be kind of winding down this blind faith series that we've been in for a while. Okay, we're going to wind down and start something different. But I want you to remember, this series has been about the last week of Jesus' uh, life here on earth. And we've got to see a lot of the uh, profound things he's done. But today he's going to do something a little edgy. I mean, today... He's going to warn the Jewish leaders about the perils of hypocrisy or the danger uh, of hypocrisy. Now, all of us are familiar with hypocrites. Am I right? How many people, when I say hypocrite, someone pops into their mind? How many of them are sitting by you? No, I'm just just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but um, there's nothing more frustrating. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than being around someone who acts like one thing and and actually is something else. And that's what a hypocrite is. It's, It's just it's just an actor. So he's going he's gonna to warn these Jewish leaders, and he's going to do it using a series of woes, right? And I'm not talking like woe when you're riding a horse. Uh, woe meant a state of intense hardship or distress. So when he would say woe to someone, it would mean woe, but meaning that this person is going to experience hardship and distress. He's saying that this woe is going to come upon them, this hardship and this distress. And that when you read this, you can kind of see that he's a little sympathetic, you know, that, that they had fallen this far, but you also see that he's frustrated, right? And what we're going to learn today is that uh, the value of genuine faith is just so powerful, and the danger in being a hypocrite uh, is just, I don't think we even understand how dangerous that is and how much damage that does. So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Then he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. In verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel uh, on sea and land to make one proselyte or convert, uh, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Okay, so you can tell this is Jesus last week, because he's pulling out all the stops here, isn't he? I mean, this is, this is some serious stuff, because what he did here was he brought a serious indictment against the Jewish leaders. I mean, this is an indictment. He's saying, here's what you are. Listen, this is my last few days on earth, so let's just get one thing clear. You're a hypocrite. And he says it, what, three times? I mean, in the first three verses, you are hypocrites. So he uses seven woes to tell them just how hypocritical they are. See, what had happened is the Jewish leaders, their primary job was to care for the spiritual needs of Israel. That was their primary job. That's what they were supposed to be focused on. But over time, they became more focused on religion, right? They became more focused on power, and especially they became more focused on self-edification. They just loved having people look up to them. They loved that. And because of that, that's why they rejected Jesus as their Messiah, because they wanted a Messiah that was more like them, one that was seeking power and wealth. And, and so they wanted uh, a Messiah that would give them this world domination and set them up as the most powerful people in the world. They had no use for a Messiah who only offered simple stuff like, I mean, grace and love and peace, you know, those things. That, who wants that, right? I mean, they weren't interested in a Messiah like that. That's not what they wanted. So they were just, they had it set in their mind, if the Messiah is not like us, not desiring power, not wanting to put us, uh, make us the most prominent nation on the earth, then we won't want anything to do with him, right? So you would think, you would think that rejecting Jesus themselves would be enough, right? But, but it's, it's not to them because they were also trying to persuade others to reject him also. So when he said, you won't enter in and you'll hinder those who would, what he's saying is, listen, it's bad enough that you don't want to believe, but you're trying to convince other people to not believe also. Right, You're traveling over land and sea to find someone to convert to a false gospel, which you're preaching. And they were preaching a false gospel. They had their own gospel. And what their gospel was, was they would tell people, listen, here's what it takes to get to heaven. You don't need to have some carpenter's son. You don't need that. Here's what you need to go to heaven. You just have to keep the law. And if you can keep the law, you're in. I mean, they made that sound really simple. But no one could ever keep the law. But this was the gospel that they were presenting to people, right? And you would think, okay, well, then that's as bad as it gets. They're rejecting Christ. They're keeping other people uh, from rejecting Christ. But they, you know, they're also traveling trying to find people that they can convert to their false gospel. You're thinking it can't get much worse, but it does. I mean, in his three verses, it's amazing how many things he calls out on them. He said that they were devouring widows' houses. You know what that means? What they were doing was they would find the widows because they saw them as weak. They saw them as vulnerable because their husband was gone. So they would try to con these widows into giving them their money and their land and leave them with nothing. They were using their influence to destroy the future of these widows. So not only are they rejecting Christ and, and hindering others from doing so, they're traveling far and wide to convince people to reject him and believe their false gospel. And the people that they were leading, they were taken advantage of. The weakest of the people they were leading, they were taking advantage of those people. And they were devouring their houses. Then he comes up with another one. And this kills me. He says, for pretense, for a pretense, you make long prayers. Okay? Now, this isn't talking about Scotty-style long prayers. This is talking about the long prayers of people wanting to be heard that's what for a pretense means is for attention right you want to get other people's attention they would have these long loud prayers in the in the public areas in the marketplaces so that everyone would look at them right and this was everything prayer wasn't designed to be because prayer is designed to be something personal if you look at Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 5 Jesus says when you pray you are not to be like what the hypocrites, the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And what that means is they're going to get theirs. That's what that means. Verse six. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right now. They were going out trying to find places where a lot of people would see them, and then they 'd have these long, loud prayers that that sounded so righteous so that people would see them and think, "Wow, what righteous people they are i 'll never forget one time I was at richards, and i hadn 't been a Christian very long, and I knew that you should bow your head before you eat right so me and my family were there, and you know we got our food and we you know said a prayer and, and we ate well there was this large group of people and I knew that they were probably just coming from church because it was one of those churches where everybody wears suits, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know, where everybody's like all decked out. And then if you see somebody at a restaurant at 2 o'clock, you know, dressed to the nines on a Sunday, they probably just came from church, right? So they had this large table. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean, talk about weird, everybody at the table stands up. You know what it's like when you hear eight chairs scoot back at one time, right? Like everybody's whipping their head to see what happened, you know? And then they held hands and, and made this circle around their table. And this man led in this big, loud prayer in Richard's. And I remember thinking to myself, why do I feel like that's hypocritical? You know, I, I wanted so bad to say, hey, you know, I appreciate that you want to pray, but God's not deaf. And, you know, he doesn't need you to stand on top of the table to hear him. You know, it almost kind of felt like they were trying to draw attention To themselves. And this is what the Pharisees were like. They wanted to draw that attention to themselves, right? Now, I think it's strange because when it says they travel over land and sea, it didn't mean that they were just going anywhere. They were going to the people that were designed to be God's people and trying to convince them not to believe in his Messiah. So that's why he said that was such a huge event, right? They were trying to persuade them and to lead them the opposite way that God designed them to go. And None of the tactics that they used here are anything new, because the enemy has been doing this forever. This is an age-old tactic, right? And Satan has always used the world system to try to convince us or pressure us into rejecting God. In this case, he's using a false gospel, right? Listen, the enemy knows how we work, and you can lie about this, or you can be honest. I'm not going to make you raise your hand so I don't think you're a liar, okay? But... The enemy knows that all of us want the approval of people. And if you're honest with yourself and look in your life, there's even someone in your life that their approval means more than others. So we, are, we are, a, are a creation that loves to get approval from other people, and the enemy knows that, right? And at this time, the Jewish people wanted the approval, obviously, of their spiritual leaders. So they might start to be convinced by Jesus' words, and they were you know, about to believe, and the, and the Jews would come in and say, Listen... You can't believe in this carpenter's son. If you do that, we can't have anything to do with you because you're spitting in the face of Moses. We're your leaders. We know what's best for you. If you really want to be righteous, if you want to have our approval, then reject that man and believe in our gospel. This is what they were doing to convince people to not believe, just putting pressure on them and, and trying to use their desire for their approval against them. right? And, and the enemy still does this, today nothing has changed he still does this today because have you ever noticed that today it it may not be the spiritual leader so much that that does that but it's it's pop culture right does that science does that you see social media does that we see so many different avenues movies that, that that do this and and they make you feel like if if you believe if you're a person of faith you're ignorant has anybody else here ever noticed that they make it look like you're shallow and, and you're oh, oh okay you're one of those people that needs a god to make you feel substantial you know what i mean they just try to they're condescending and they they use this pressure to make us feel like we're not gaining the world's approval the enemy uses that against us so a lot of times we start caving a little bit but here's the problem if you agree with the world yes you will you will get their approval if you buy into their philosophies you will get their approval the problem is is it's not the approval of the world that will get you to heaven. It's not the approval of the world that will draw you closer to God. But the world still tries to do that to us. And we should be, we should be aware of the fact that they're going to try that. right? They want to make us feel like outsiders. And Jesus warned us about this in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. He says, enter through the what? The narrow gate. The narrow gate. Right, For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. And this is a great illustration before I finish, because uh, there, was a, there was a small gate, a small door, basically, that you could go into. And the communities that, that the Jews would set up would always have the synagogue in the dead center. And so there was this small door you could go through and just follow this path all the way in to where the synagogue was. And then they had this wide gate that was for commerce, And you could get so many people, I mean, people could go through, I don't know how many shoulders wide, it was broad, and there were many that entered it, but that door people would go into when they were seeking God. This is why he was using that illustration. And then he says in verse 14, For the gate is small, and the the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are what? Few Few who find it. Now when people hear that, one of the first things they say to me is, So why does God make it hard to find? (laughs) That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that there's this broad gate with so many people entering it, and the world is telling us, can all these people be wrong? Can all them be wrong and you be right? So you're saying that all these scientists and all these researchers who know everything, you ever notice they try to promote them like they know everything? Right? And you know what? When people try to act like they know everything, it it really bothers those of us who do. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's what they do. They, They make it sound like, oh, you know, that, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you're that narrow-minded. But it's not that it's hard to find the gate. It's just it's hard to focus on the gate. Because we want the approval of the masses. So a lot of times, we follow the masses. And we're always told that the majority what? The majority rules. Now, the majority may rule here on earth, but it certainly doesn't rule in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell them here. And sadly, the Jewish leaders who should have been the ones pointing them to the narrow gate had become nothing more than just religious hindrances. They were just stumbling blocks to God's plan. People who were supposed to be an intricate part of God's plan became a stumbling block to God's plan. It just it, it drives me insane to see that Christianity is kind of moving this way again. Because a lot of times, Christians, we are the biggest hindrance on people believing. And I know that's, that's some bitter medicine to take. But a lot of times, we try to be too churchy. Now, it sounds strange coming from a pastor, but I'm not a fan of churchy people. How many people know what I mean by churchy people? You know what I mean? The people when you come in that give you the up and down. You know what the up and down is? <laughs> the up and down. They want to see if there's anything on you that they can judge. They're judgmental. They're always trying to push you down so that they can they can be lifted up. Right. A lot of Christian people today are condescending and self-righteous. You ever felt that way? Where the people are talking to you like well, when you become as spiritual as me. I'll never forget, when I was a teenager, I wasn't a Christian, and I was very good at sin. Uh, I had mastered it. And I was on a field trip, and there's this woman who would always help out. I don't know if she's a teacher's aide or just an annoying parent. I don't know what she was, but um, she was always at every event. And she always, you know, she spoke Christianese and said the right words. And she always, you know, wore the right things and listened to Christian music. And she put it out there. She made everyone aware of the fact that she was a believer. And I didn't have any problem with that. But, As we were riding on this bus, I used some choice words, some colorful words, some words that you probably shouldn't use, right? But I was not a believer. And she turns around and just condemns me to hell in front of everybody. I was like 14, man. And she turns around and tells me what a deprived sinner I was and how terrible I was and how she couldn't believe that I would handle that kind and just dress me down. I don't know what she was hoping to accomplish there, She just made me use a lot more colorful words to describe her as I talked back to her. That's exactly what I did. I'm not proud of it. I wasn't a believer then, but I told her where to park her wagon pretty much, right? And used some very colorful language in doing so. And I remember thinking after this exchange, if that's what a Christian is, no thanks. That's not what I want to be. If that's what a Christian is, no thank you, right? And we have got to be careful that by being judgmental and self-righteous and condescending, basically being hypocrites, that we're not... Pushing people away from Christianity. Because trust me, that behavior, those attitudes, those actions push people from Christianity. How many people can think of someone in their life that was like this, that kind of hindered you a little bit from faith? Anybody remember somebody like that in their life? That real judgmental churchy person? You know, we got to be very careful because that's just repeating the same behavior that Jesus is talking about here with the the, uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? Because they actually became a hindrance. One thing we never want to do is we never want to become the reason people don't want to come to church. We never want to become the reason people lose interest in Christianity. We never want that to happen. Because one thing we're going to see in all the passages we study today is God isn't pleased with it, and he won't put up with it. Right? We never want to become that. So let's move on. Because the next thing he points out is they, their actions reveal their allegiance. So Matthew twenty three sixteen. He says, again, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Now, I think it's ironic. I had someone tell me one time, they said, well, Jesus called them fools. I said, yeah. Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to call anybody a fool. And I go, Hold on a second. You're, you're out of context here. The Bible also says that it's the fool that says in his heart, no God. Now, it says in, the, in your Bibles, it'll say that there's no God. But in the Greek, it literally means the fool, or the Hebrew, rather. It says the fool says in his heart, no, like, no thanks, God. See, and it takes a fool to reject the grace and love of God, this free gift of God. It takes a fool to reject that. And so when Jesus called them fools, it kind of fit, right? Because they were saying no to God. He said, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. This is what the Jews believed. So they like the gift more than the altar. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears uh, both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So what this is, that's, that sounds kind of confusing, doesn't it? All that patched together. But basically, what this is, is it's kind of describing their allegiance. See, they, they had this mentality. When you were kids, you remember how you thought if you crossed your fingers, nothing you said you were bound to? <laughs> Anybody remember that? Like your parents would say, now, did you really take the trash out? And you're like, uh-huh, as your fingers are crossed behind you, right? <laughs> did you really do your homework? Yes. Right, But as long as you cross your fingers, I don't know who started that. But was that not the greatest pass ever in your mind? And your parents would say, you lied. You said you did your homework. I got a note here from your teacher that says you didn't. And you're going, I didn't lie across my fingers. And my dad would say, really? As he's going out to get something to beat me with. You know what I mean? But you know, remember that mentality? The Jews kind of live by that cross your fingers mentality. Because they believe that a vow was only as good as the object of that vow. So they would make some vows not even thinking they would keep them because they thought, I didn't vow on anything important, so I don't really have to keep that vow. They only felt obligated to keep a vow that was made on something they saw as important or they saw as valuable. Now, this is so strange because they knew the Word of God better than anybody, and the Word of God tells us that you're supposed to keep every vow. In Numbers 30, starting in verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath, To bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. They knew that. They just ignored it. Right? So their vows didn't really mean anything unless it was on something that they saw was very important or very valuable. So their vows actually revealed where their allegiance was. Their allegiance, what was important to them, what they dedicated their lives to was things that were worth something here on earth, worldly things. They wanted wealth, right? They wanted power. Anything that that could increase their wealth and power, if they made a vow on that, by gosh, that was serious. But if it wasn't, it was across your fingers. They could make that vow and not keep it. And Jesus calls them fools for this, right? And, I mean, this proves something. God is so displeased when people don't put having honesty and integrity as traits in our life as something that we should be seeking after. God expects believers to be honest, not deceptive, no cross your fingers, no little white lies, which I have never seen that in the Bible, little white lies, right? He expects us to be honest and to have integrity. That's what he expects from us. Because here's what he understands, is that if people don't respect and believe you, they won't believe your message either. They just won't believe your message. I mean, how many people here know somebody that you think, man, you can tell when that guy's lying because every time his mouth's moving, he's lying. How many people know that guy? Right? Again, is that person here? No, I'm just kidding. I've got to quit doing that. One of these days, you guys are going to point at somebody and I'm going to feel guilty for a few seconds. Anyway, but the, it, those people, you just don't trust them. Right? The people who are always saying they're going to do something and don't do it, does that drive anybody else nuts? You know, the pe- it, it, what cracks me up is when it's like your cable provider. I'm not even going to preach on that because I tell you, I could. <laughs> But this world seems to make a lot of promises it doesn't keep. When you lose confidence in somebody because they don't have integrity and they're not honest, they have no, they have, there's no way they're ever going to be effective in conveying a message to you. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you guys are liars. Your allegiance is if something's valuable. To the things of this world, you don't have any allegiance for me, or you would keep every word you would be concerned about your integrity. Now, this is something, I'll be honest with you, that, I kind of see falling away in the Christian world, and it really bothers me. And I'm talking about Christianity as a whole, because Christians seem to have not put as much stock in the value of having integrity and having an honest reputation as they used to. Because I've noticed a lot of believers that rather than standing out by doing what's right, they kind of assimilate with the world. And it bothers me. It bothers me because they'll act like Christians on Sunday and like the world on Monday. And that is the definition of what? Hypocrite. A hypocrite. They watch their tongue in church. Except those, those people that for some reason think if they say, pardon my French, they're good. You ever met that person? I had a lady one time I was counseling. She goes, Pastor, i got to tell you something. Excuse my French. She dropped an F-bomb on me. And I go, uh, it's not French. <laughs> number one. And number two, if you, had the, if you had the presence of mind to warn me it was coming, you might have had the presence of mind. Do not say it, you know what I mean? But Christian people, it scares me when we start talking like the world. It does, it scares me. It scares me when we start acting like the world. It scares me when we're looking for more reasons to excuse our bad behavior than to pursue good behavior. That bothers me. Because people already think there's too many hypocrites in church. How many people have heard someone tell them that there's too many hypocrites in church? Just about everybody. I mean, we've all heard that. So we should be guarding against that and making sure that we, what we profess, we live, Right? Because it appears to me that we're kind of forgetting our identity. You know and our purpose is here? To look like Christ. When people see us and hear us, they should think of Christ. But I think anymore, we're almost becoming like the Pharisees. We do our religious duty. We go to church. We watch our mouth and watch what we wear and all that stuff. When we come to church and the rest of the week, anything goes. Because everybody knows if the pastor doesn't see it, God doesn't see it, right? Everybody knows that. Just... Absolutely drives me crazy, and Jesus calls him out for this. He flat calls him out on it, because, like the Jews, sometimes we 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 lose our way, we lose our identity. They had completely lost their identity, right? Which moves us into this next section where he kind of talks about religious camouflage. Now, there's a lot of indictments here. I'm going to try to cover them all. But Jesus says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside." But inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which means painted tombs, whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness, and all uncleanness. Um, so you too uh, so outwardly appear... Righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, these are just amazing illustrations. This is some of the most powerful illustrations uh, in the New Testament. Because religion has this effect on people. Now, when I say religion, a lot of people say, why are you always picking on religion? Because it needs it. Okay, religion is our attempt to reach God. We come up with rules. We come up with a path to try to reach God. We're the ones that come up with the nomination. God didn't come up with that. We're the ones that come up with new bylaws. I hear people all the time saying, oh, I can't believe those Jews added to the law. And I'm, what are you talking about? You wrote a whole book of bylaws that you added to the Bible. Like there's not enough in those 66 books. You know what I mean? It's the same mindset here. I love these illustrations because a lot of times we get more concerned with with doing what the church says, doing what our denomination says, than doing what God says. Do You ever notice that? sometimes people can well i'm you know I'm listening to the right things i'm wearing the right things i'm saying the right things, I must be right that's religion speaking right so religion has this effect on people. people who are religious can actually c- camouflage what's in their heart for a little while they can camouflage the content of their heart for a little while because Jesus said that outwardly they work so hard to be righteous meaning they were whitewashing but you know what when you whitewash a tomb weather will break it down and eventually you'll see it's just an old tomb right that's holding dead men's bones but the same thing he said is happening with you he said you wear the right things the Jewish leaders love for people to be able to identify them from a long way away they would wear these long robes with tassels that would drag and people would see them with their huge hats and their long robes and go oh here comes a man of God because he's got the tassels Right. He's got the headgear. This has to be a man of God. And they were meticulous, meticulous about wearing them the way they were supposed to wear them. They were meticulous about their ceremonial cleansings. They made sure that they never had anything unclean. They made sure to that. Right. So they made they paid so much attention to making sure they looked righteous that they didn't spend enough of time, enough time actually becoming righteous. They looked good on the outside, but inside they were a complete mess. So people who saw them might have thought, wow, that's a righteous person, but I guarantee you the people that dealt with them knew better than that. right? And that's that's painful. That's a painful thing because one thing's for sure. You cannot pull that off for long. Religion might disguise who you are for a little while, but it won't last long. You can't pull that off forever because eventually what's in your heart will reveal itself. It just always happens. Has anyone ever known the person that played the religious role, and then all of a sudden scandal comes out. And everybody's all shocked, and I'm like, I'm not shocked, because we can only hide what's in here for so long. God will bring it to the surface. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, "...the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills what?" heart." So he's saying, eventually what's in your heart will come out your mouth." It will uh, follow up by deeds that that back it, and eventually people are going to see the content of your heart. Now, if we're honest, have you ever been guilty of maybe trying to dress the outside up a little more than the inside? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I think all of us at one time or another have played the hypocrite. I knew a guy one time who remained nameless, but I knew a guy one time who would listen to secular music, which I don't have a problem with that as long as it's not nasty, right? But when he would get close to a church, he'd be like, hurry and turn that to a Christian station. I'm like, "Uh, uh, why? Because I don't want them to know I listen to that. (laughs) I'm like, what? I mean, literally, he was afraid that if someone who didn't believe in listening to anything but Christian music, if someone heard that, they would think less of him. So he would change the channel when he came to church so people would think he always listened to Christian music. And I remember thinking to myself, that's got to make you kind of feel like a hypocrite. You know, you're trying to deceive them into thinking you're something that you're not, right? I know other people who change the way they dress when they're around Christian people or when they're in a church event or at church because they want to look the role more than they want to be the role. And here's what I always tell people. Listen, if it's okay to listen to six days a week, it's okay to listen to when you're pulling into the parking lot. If If you're okay to wear that six days a week, you're okay to wear it on Sunday. You shouldn't act like it's God only sees what I wear when I walk in here. And I think people act like that. That's why we don't have dress codes. I, th- I think it, it encourages hypocrisy. I'm going to use this illustration. I've used it before. But it, it's one of those illustrations that when it came to me, I'm like, God, I know you want me to use this often. Because I was at the Y. And I was sitting down. Right? Just got done working out. And there was this, this old guy. You know, like Kevin's age. And he... I'm sitting here, you know... Tying my shoes. I still almost gag when I think about this. I'm sitting here tying my shoes, and I hear this old guy go, hey, preacher. And I look up, and he's standing this close to me, butt naked. <laughs> I'm sitting down. That's all grades of nasty. right? He's right there. And I'm like, yeah, what? oh, what do you want? He goes, i got to ask you a question. I'm like, okay, ask it, quick. I felt like saying, could you ask me with a towel around you? But he was an elder in a church. He says, I want to know what you think of dress codes. (laughs) And I'll never forget, I was thinking, Lord, you did this, didn't you? You did this. Because no naked man walks up to you and asks about dress codes, unless there's a purpose. And I looked at him and I go, what do you mean? He goes, I'm asking you, do you believe in dress codes? And I said, I do not. He said, why? I said, because I think they're stupid. He goes, why? I think when you're in the presence of God, you should wear the best you have. And I said, I have a newsflash for you. He said, what? I said, you are in the presence of God right now, butt naked. Okay, you are in the presence of God when you are sitting on the toilet. You're in the presence of God when you are in the shower. You're in the presence of God everywhere you go because you are always, he sees everything. You're always in his presence. I said, so since you're always in his presence, maybe we should focus more on making sure the inside looks good than worrying about the outside. And he looks at me and he stands for a minute, naked. Still, I mean, he has the towel over his shoulder. And I'm like, why? Just put it on, man. And he goes, hmm, and walks away. As I was leaving the why, I thought to myself, yep, that's a sermon illustration. You want me to use that often because you did not make me look at that nastiness for no reason. There's a reason that you did that to me, right? So, but the purpose and the point here and what Jesus was trying to say and what I told this man was that, we have to spend more time focusing on remodeling the inside than we do worrying about what's going on on the outside. Listen, the music you listen to and the contents of your closet are just not that important to God. They're not, right? But the content of your heart is important to God. So let's focus first on changing what's going on on the inside. Listen, if you allow God to start making Changes on the inside and cleaning you up on the inside, I promise you the outside will follow. But the most important thing, he's not going to start. When you become a believer, people go, Oh, what should I wear? Listen, that's not what he's concerned with. Here's what he's concerned with give him control in here so he can remodel this. And when he remodels this, everything else will follow after that. So Jesus just pulls him out or calls him out there and lets him know, Hey, by the way, also, your dressing righteous doesn't make you righteous. Right? Then he points out, Another pretty rough thing, a pretty rough pill to swallow here, starting verse 39. it says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, uh, build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say,If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents or snakes, you brood of vipers." How will you escape the sentence of hell? But he is not holding back here, is he? All you people that say I'm too blunt, read this a few times, would you? Right? He says, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Verse 34, therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the blood of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Well, you talk about finishing with a bang. Talk about, fin- I mean, this is a painful reality. He says, Let me explain to you before I'm done the depth of your rejection and the legacy of rejection that has been going through the leadership, and the priesthood. He said, it was your fathers. It was the elders and priests of the times before this that would kill the prophets God sent them. It was your fathers. They had a mentality just like you have. And they're saying, well, if we were alive back then, we wouldn't have done that. And he's like, are you serious? John the Baptist, you killed John the Baptist. You're imprisoning and killing people today for believing. He's saying, not only have you killed, but you will continue to kill the people I send out because you are just like your fathers. You have rejected me because you're too focused on you. You're too focused on religion and gaining power. He said, this is exactly who you are. So you might as well just accept responsibility, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. And he was right. 11 of the 12 apostles were murdered. 11 of the twelve. And that's not including all the, the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of disciples over the years that they persecuted and killed and imprisoned. He just called a spade a spade. He just called them out. So this is a pretty tough section. It, I mean, it's, it's a very serious indictment against the Jewish leaders. So it, it stands to reason why this would be the last week of Jesus' life. They were not going to put up with that much longer, right? But what can we take away from this? I know that's a lot to throw at you, but there's a lot we can take away from this. And the first is that we need to have a heart check. Now, how many people sometimes just stop and and do a heart check and see where you're at? Have you ever done that? Not many? No one? That's scary. Because we should all evaluate ourselves from time to time. That should happen. Right? And when I say a heart check, are we what we claim to be? Does what we say and what we do line up? Do our religious professions in public line up with what we do in private? Or are they two totally different things? Because if they are two totally different things, you are becoming what? A hypocrite, hypocrite, and that's dangerous. That's very dangerous, right? We should put priority first on being a good Christian and then later about looking like one. Because if you become one, you will look like one. It will just follow, right? Now, secondly, we should check and make sure that everything we do and say lines up. I mean, that's really important. But here's the biggest reason why, is there's not a lot of time left. And when I say that, people say, well, how do you know that? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know exactly how much time's left. I just know that there's nothing scripturally left to happen before Christ returns. Nothing. Because people always ask me, oh, well, isn't that seven-headed dragon supposed to come up and spit fire? I'm like, yeah, man, you're reading the wrong book. Yeah, you're you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong context there. That's, that stuff's after he's already come and got us, right? And it's not a seven-headed dragon. That's another talk, all right? But people are always ask me, well, what sign should I look for to know the, the, the world might be coming to an end? And I'm like, I think you're focusing on the wrong thing. I had a young lady one time tell me, well, why am I focusing on the wrong thing? It's important to want to know when the end of time is. I said, yeah, but if somebody crosses the center line and hits you head on in your vehicle, the end of your time is today. See, death doesn't really care how old you are. And focusing on when the end of time is, hey, you know what, this world may last another 10 days, or another 10,000 years. I don't know, and anyone that tells you they do know is a liar. Because the Bible flat says no one knows the day or the hour. Because you know what would happen if we knew the day or the hour? We would all wait till a week before that to start acting right. That's what we would do. Oh, man, I should should do something about my drinking problem. Well, i got two months before the end. I guess I can deal with that next month. That's what we would do. No one knows the day or the hour. But here's the thing. Your time could be tomorrow. It could be today. You need to make sure that you're doing what you're called to do while you're here, while God can use you we got to use the time we have left, and only God knows how much time we have left, to try to reach people. We need to have a sense of urgency about reaching people. And to be honest with you, I don't see it much anymore. It's on the back burner. We feel like if we go to church and and give our offering, we're good. We don't have to live lives that draw people to Christ. We don't have to show love to people that other people are rejecting. We just feel like we just got to keep our religious duty, and that's not the way it it should be. If we're not all in, we're kind of hypocrites. And I know that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, and I'm pointing to me too. But when we profess our undying belief in Christ and yet do nothing he's asking us to do, isn't that kind of hypocritical? Isn't it? And so I think we need to really make sure that we understand what kind of life and what, how we're reflecting Christ to other people, what kind of life we're leading. Because I think a lot of times we don't do that. We have to make sure that we make the right choice, because everyone has a choice to whether to encourage or discourage people from faith. And I think it's sad when, when you become the Christian that discourages people from faith. I don't ever want to be that person. Do you? Do you want to be the person that says, well, I wanted to come to church, but I met that Chris Mosley, and what an idiot. There is no way. I mean, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. I don't ever want to be that guy. You know. But I, I just don't know that we're focused like we should. We have to make the right choice there. Listen, only believers whose words and action encourage people to come to Christ are going to experience God's best. And I've had people a lot of times ask me, well, I see all these promises that God has for us in the scriptures, and I'm wondering when I'm going to collect on some of them. And I go, well, did you read what you have to do to collect on them? Because salvation's free, but rewards are not. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, if you're living the way he asks you to live, he will give you his best. If you are giving him your thirds or fourth helpings, you're probably not going to see his best. If you want his best, you have to make sure that we're not like the Pharisees, that we're not hypocrites. Instead, we live exactly what we profess, and our actions and our words are always drawing people to God. That's our job, and that's what he was trying to tell them here in this indictment. I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up next week, uh, but I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. Now, if this is your first time here, we always give an invitation. I don't do those invitations where people have to come up front and stuff. I just don't do that because I don't want to put pressure on anybody Here's what I do want to do. If, if God is speaking to you, and it's amazing how God will speak to people in different ways, and I, I don't know how many people come up and said I felt like that message was pointed at me. Well, then it, it probably was. The Holy Spirit probably put it that way, and, and, and if he's encouraging you to make a change, I just want to give you the opportunity to take that first step, and then I'm just going to pray for you. So if there's someone here who's not sure where they stand with Christ, I want to pray for you. And I'm not going to email you. I'm not going to chase you down after church. I'm not going to sick the welcome team after you. I'm just going to honestly pray for you because if you haven't trusted Christ yet, I know the difference between you and me is not that I'm good and you're not. It's that I have trusted him and you haven't yet. So if you'd like me to pray for you, just make eye contact me and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. But more important than taking that first step is, is remember that if God is calling you, there's a reason. He's calling you because he desires that relationship. Believers, I'm going to pray for us because I I really want to see the church become the powerful influence in this world, and I mean the church as a whole, not just us. I want to see the church as a whole become the powerful influence we were designed to be. I want our actions to show the love of Christ. I want our words to show the love of Christ. I want people, when they think about Christians, to think about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I am so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy. And never can understand how you can love someone like me. It's hard for me to grasp that you love us so much that you give us the opportunity to have eternal life despite who we are, not because of who we are. And Lord, you know that if we come as we are and just trust you, we don't have to worry about making changes. You'll make the changes for us. I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you that they put all the things aside that's hindered them, all the people that centered them and they just focus on trusting you for their eternal life because your word promises if they do that, they'll have it. And then I pray they submit to you and just let you remodel them from the inside out. Make them into a vessel that brings honor and glory to you. God, for those of us who know you, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to just play our role Just show up in church, Lord. Just say the right words and wear the right things. But, God, I want us to be right. I just pray, God, that all of us will remember our purpose and that we'll draw closer to you so that when people hear us, they hear you, when they see us, they see you. God, we want to be powerful in drawing people to the kingdom for you. We just pray, God, as we leave here, you would keep us safe, draw us closer to you, let us live what we profess, Most importantly, if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.